Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Blockchain for the Billions today. We are speaking with Peter Lieb from Cairo Digital. I am Cami Darling. I'm Alejandro Ballesteros, and we're your co-hosts. Thank you for joining us today, Peter. Thank you. Good to see you guys. Peter, it's, it's really great to have you here. We're super excited to get into all things blockchain, all things building, all things Kiro Digital. Um, you know, I think to start us off, I would love to hear your sort of brief perspective and summary of what Kiro Digital does and, um, you know, why you think it's important. Yeah, so um, Cairo's making it easier for all types of creators, experts, IP owners, ultimately, to be able to launch, manage, and maintain um, all types of Web3 projects right now. So what, what we've noticed from being at this for several years is the complexity in which um, builders are experiencing today, uh, large brands are experiencing today, where everything is just so complicated from having to understand new languages, um, which is very new, that are changing every single day, uh, new rules, new regulations, new consumer behaviors, new types of experiences, uh, and ultimately are trying to abstract all of the technical complexities, which is making these projects so expensive, so time-consuming right now, um, and to be able to give this infrastructure to all types of companies right now uh, to more easily build their projects and to really start thinking more about why does my project need blockchain and how do I actually start marketing this to my audience um, instead of having to spend the next year worrying about all the technical front end and back end complexities um, of what today's kind of web three world entails. I think that's a very succinct summary, Peter. Um, if I could just sort of wrap it up, I, I think, yeah, if, if I were to say what Cairo does and their mission, it's, you know, just that basically simplifying the existing technologies out there and bringing it to creators so that they can uh, employ this technology to do what it was meant to do, you know, create branding, create marketplaces, um, create customer loyalty platforms, uh, really all, all with the ease of, of a very simple and intuitive user interface. Um, yeah, Peter, I love that Cairo is in the creator court. Um, can you sort of dive into a little bit um, about what you were doing uh, career-wise before Cairo and sort of what was the last straw that, you, um, that pushed you to create it? Yeah, so I, I think it's interesting the history of kind of our our founding team um, a bit. For me, I've always been at this intersection of how technology can enable all different types of branding and monetization. So I actually started twenty some odd years ago now um, in the ad agency world, working on you know digital businesses when nobody cared or knew what the word digital meant for. Fortune 100 brands. Uh, I quickly moved into the film and television world and again was very early with the word digital from digital distribution to e-commerce to the social platforms uh, emerging and got to experience a lot of uh, really interesting both business and consumer behaviors around that um, and then jumped into the creator economy. But technology in, in my career has always been the through line and the great enabler um, of what everyone has been trying to do. And so for years, I've been paying attention on a technical level to what was happening um, 
you know, from Bitcoin to chains to infrastructure across the board. Uh, and over the last couple of years, we really started seeing more and more of the future and the possibilities emerge um, and began to build a lot of the a lot of the underlying foundation of Cairo, which says if you own this asset, therefore it unlocks this, what everyone refers to as utility, but in our world, it unlocks um, various types of applications. Um, you know, Samir, on the other hand, started many years ago in the technology world at Apple, seeing firsthand from Lisa, which became Mac, to the app and developer ecosystem, to his last coding project in his life was actually uh, at Apple. And so he got to experience both the technology, but I think a lot of what we refer to as this abstraction layer is making it easier on the end consumer. And so while we are a B2B uh, infrastructure play, it's truly a B2B2C. We're, we're helping our partners uh, both on a headless and a UI standpoint make this entire experience more seamless to their end consumer across the board. So I think we're a little unique um, in the market because we've experienced a lot of these transformational waves before from the start of the internet and Samir had started uh, NetObjects Fusion, which powered arguably the first 50 or 60 million websites as as the browser was being created. We needed applications, which ended up being websites. Um, to to my background and to the team's background, which, which crosses over a lot of these um, different pain points. So we, we've had a lot of experience at it uh, and we're excited to, you know, to be able to launch this and have been launching it with, with some more, I'll call it premium partners around these marketplaces where they can worry about other problems. They don't have to worry about the technology side as much. I think that's uh, super formative. Thanks. Thanks Peter for that. And I, I do want to just sort of ask you like, what got you into web three and blockchain? Where were you in your career when you first sort of noticed um, this technology? And, uh, you know, was it the Bitcoin white paper? What, what really was it that got you into the space, got you interested in it? Yeah, I think like everybody, sure, you know, I, I read the white paper. You could start envisioning um, a lot of possibilities. I'm, I'm, more, uh, I'm more of the visceral side uh, of our company, so I've got to tangibly experience a lot of these things um, with engineers. But, you know, it really started, I would say, even seven, eight, nine years ago, um, around a really interesting project of how to leverage blockchain to disrupt today's advertising model and today's um, model that's based on gatekeepers and centralized data points and people telling you what works and what doesn't work and having no access to a lot of that information. Um, and so when I saw that project, you can again, pull back the layers a little bit and start applying that similar principle of decentralization, intermediaries and direct fan relationships to really hundreds of use cases that percolate in the back of my mind on behalf of our customers every single day. But, you know, it comes with its own set of challenges. Yeah, Peter, I think it's so useful that you also have that sort of web two and web one experience. Uh, it's really interesting to me, like a lot of people describe web three as sort of going back and fixing the original sins of the internet, which was sort of no native value transfer uh, infrastructure and um, as a result, a lot of, as we're talking about this monetization layer that is sort of inherently broken uh, and defaults to advertisement, which 
maybe is like a suboptimal way to, to monetize um, platforms and content from a user perspective. Can you talk a little bit more about sort of um, the similarities and differences that you see in the early internet to Web3 today and uh, a little bit about sort of how and why advertisement is broken? I mean, I think it's broken for lots of different reasons. I don't know. I've, I've been stuck on the idea that a lot of people have brought back from 20 some odd years ago, again, when the browser was started and everyone said, this is crazy. No one's going to ever buy something, right? Or you, you watch the Bill Gates, David Letterman videos that have resurfaced, which is a lot of fun, right? Where everyone's just joking about, you know, buying stuff or handing over your credit card. You know, at, at all points of life, that's where we are today. 99 point some odd percent of people, right, say, this is crazy. I don't need it. My money's protected at a bank. I can do this with credit card. I, I don't need this underlying foundational shift. I don't need to learn new things. Um, and that's the, that's the best part, right? I love the naysayers and I love everyone telling us like, we don't need it and we can do it our way and our business is great today, right? Because there's a day-to-day -day business to run and it's hard to think about, you know, the future versus the now given everything going on in, in the world. So we're at that same point where we're reinventing lots of different components. We're also, I think, at times taking pieces of what has worked because I don't find that Web2 has uh, a lot of downsides either, right? Like it's wonderful to purchase. It's wonderful to make money. It's created um, tens of thousands of, of new types of what refer, people refer to now as uh, online creators in the creator economy. There's so many benefits to all of that, but the idea of can we take it even further? Um, can we you know, invent new components that, by the way, were thought of in the early days? And I go back to the early days of the browser of what happens if the browser would have taken payments and transactions and that one feature set of saying, no, 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 we're not going to try and, and take payments on a web page right off the bat. What if, what if that changed? Would that have changed the dynamics between what are now referred to as content creators and audiences? Would they be less reliant on the ad model that has made some of them tens of millions of dollars and others just a normal middle-class um, income? So, you know, technology is so interesting because that decision at that time probably, you know, they probably weren't thinking of that true long-term impact as much as being able to build um, applications on, on a browser. So, you know, that to me is why this space is so exciting right now. Every industry is, you know, is prime um, to use the technology to enable more and more consumer benefits right now. But it takes a lot of time. It takes an internal infrastructure. It takes a lot of technology and a lot of great partners. We're just one of the many, many companies out there that that are trying to build um, for the future right now. But there's not a day that goes by where it's not exciting and somebody doesn't come to us and conversations about a new idea and a new way of, of building. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that is such a great mindset to have. I, I think when, when I think about what you just said, the, the mindset that stands out to me is this mindset of being an optimistic realist, right? Where you see, okay, Web2 has fundamental value and yes, there are lots of things that are wrong with it and can be improved. doesn't mean that like we also can't learn from what it did right. Um, and it doesn't mean that, you know, we should just be complacent and sort of accept those, those, those things that are sort of broken 
as the status quo and good enough, right? We need to push for more while at the same time accepting that uh, what, what we have right now is, is pretty good and, and uh, is attributable to a lot of value growth for users and content creators. Yeah, and it's, it's a fine line. Hey, I was on the other side of the table for, for many years and, and managing budgets and seeing budgets and making decisions and allocating resources. And, you know, the question of do we need to do this? Why do we need to do this? What is it going to help us with? You know, those, those are really tough questions internally right now for companies. And I don't care if you're a company of two people or a company of, of 200,000 people right now to be able to determine if you believe a lot of these mechanisms will be the future, um, how do you properly test things, right? Without negative, uh, negative blowback from your audiences. How do you communicate a lot of these features? How do you explain things when, you know, it's hard enough to explain things when you're, you know, a native crypto enthusiast right now? Um, are there negative ramifications? Like there, there's just a lot of things where I applaud every type of individual person or company, anybody with an audience size of, of one person to a hundred million to try different things because I've always been out there trying things before they've become mainstream. Um, but at the same time, there's there's a lot of nuance to this space right now that is not going to get solved, you know, by one person. Absolutely. I want to ask um, a little bit more about your experience with um, actually starting Cairo. And um, you mentioned about You'd mentioned about how important it is to have good or good good teammates and good leaders. So I'm wondering um, what what it was like, you know, meeting Samir and and what what it was like deciding to work together. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the best thing to me is you got to have a relationship and understand how people um, operate across the board. Uh, Samir and I have known each other for five or six years now, incubating a lot of different types of of products and um, talking about the world, talking about um, the benefits of technology, trying to communicate to all types of what are now customers, but at, the, at that time, you know, past customers about certain challenges they were having and trying to figure out what big idea could, could truly be solved um, right now. The, the other uh, parts of kind of our senior team and founding team have worked together for years, right? There's there's something to, to that in terms of understanding shorthand and instilling trust and being able to move at the speed of light while managing quality of our product right now and not getting caught up in um, in a moment of time where you know valuations or uh, projects were were at levels we've never seen before in a matter of thirty days has completely and fundamentally changed. Like we've always believed that this is, this is very complicated. This type of new technology is extremely complicated. There is no room to fail for any of our customers, despite how new everything is right now. Um, and for, for us, the only way to be able to, to do that is to have and to continue to have uh, a very tight team across all disciplines that have trust in each other to build um, something foundational right now, which is what we've done with relationships and getting to know another person, uh, I guess, in a professional setting more fundamentally, definitely makes sense to me as like 
a very important thing for knowing that you're just going to be compatible with someone to start a company. Um, and with that being said, like, can you talk about, you know, what it was like when you guys first started Cairo and uh, the day-to-day of things and like, you know, was the environment just energetic? Was it stressful? Um, you know, what was that, what was that day-to-day like? Yeah. So, you know, Cairo was spun out um, of a platform uh, that Samir had founded that I had been involved in. And so again, going back to a lot of the history, um, you know, there were social tokens launched five or six years ago, again, that said, if you own this token, therefore you receive the following types of today's version of utilities, right? Um, so there has been a lot of testing and pressure points over the years uh, in which we have seen this in action right now. I think the biggest challenge in the, in the customer world is there's just lots of stuff I like to say out there, right? And until you get under the hood of all of that stuff, you don't really know what rises to the top. You don't really know the true technology versus kind of vapor um, that exists across the board. And and a lot of that for us is relying on on partners and frankly partners that have relied on us for many years in different capacities um, to be able to launch these types of quality projects and to have that that relationship in place right now. We within our platform took a different position and have made it more of a um, high quality by approval process. We could have from day one, we could have said, here are, the, here are APIs, like go build whatever you want on top of the platform. But I think we're now seeing the impact, right? The issues that that's having across the board. There are IP rights that are, that are problematic across the board that everyone's trying to tackle right now. There are payment issues. There are payment issues on both the fiat and crypto side um, that are happening right now. So it's such an early stage that's fundamentally important for all of us as an industry to just give the keys of the kingdom to people to go and build and, and, and potentially have them fail to us just never seem right from the beginning. Um, we'll get there across the board, but we want to hear from our customers day in and day out. We want to hear their thinking. We want to hear you know, why they took a certain approach. We're, we're not changing anything. Again, we're, we're a platform. They can build whatever they want ultimately on it. Um, but it's enabling a lot of the future thinking as well as to what they really want, right? Of having that personal relationship of not just relying on, on surveys, um, to understand what new product features to have, to give them insight into our roadmap, uh, of how we're thinking about, you know, the next wave of the new types of asset classes. Like we've only been talking about NFTs for maybe two years, right? And it's not perfect, um, the way the token is today. So there's so much improvement, there's so much advancement to a lot of this stuff that some people can just build out with blinders on and and create the future without talking to anybody and and that's wonderful. We've taken more of a stance of, we know how to do that too, but let's make sure it's what people think they want. Great, yeah, I think it's a no-brainer to crowd crowdsource uh, innovation ideas like that's your your customer right so getting you know it directly from the source is super valuable um back in those early days uh like you were mentioning certain um roadblocks you would have to to overcome um do you mind just like identifying some of those roadblocks and challenges that uh, you and your founding team had to overcome 
I think every day is a roadblock, right? Like we're all we're all building things that have never been built before. It's not uh, it's not stitching things together and slapping some beautiful UI on top of things right now. So you know, I think first and foremost, and these are things that I think most people don't want to really think about and say uh, meet meet my general counsel and my legal team around it is, you know, regulations coming. And we've all collectively, anyone who's been trading any type of crypto asset these days is probably saying to themselves, oh, I got to go through another KYC round with a different, you know, exchange or platform or something these days. It's like, yeah, we thought for a while moving money and, and moving um, an, an asset or a, an item that clearly has value in a marketplace was just free of charge and we weren't going to have to pay taxes. And don't worry about it, you know, accountant, like, you know, I, I made a bunch of money and I don't have to report it. There's just so, there's so many things <laughs> that felt inherently yeah. wrong to us or, uh, about this. And so a lot of, you know, what uh, I think folks will call the picks and shovels around this stuff um, and the back end reporting way of doing things. These are, these are complicated issues that scale to handle, right? And so you can go from, uh, what's happening in, in the background to a new blockchain emerging that we might say to ourselves, wow, that developer community is really interesting and unique um, because we took approach where we've natively integrated with seven or eight blockchains right now, right? Which are all vastly different from the next that have created uh, our platform architecture to be able to handle that. As after the first one was fully integrated end to end. The second one only takes us just several weeks at this point. So there's, there's always some challenge right now. There's always um, a difference of expectations. There's fundamental principles, I think right now that customers expect. And when you're launching anything direct to an audience, every piece of the equation has to work. There is no breakdown in place when you think about technology. Because the smallest piece of technology that breaks down has the biggest consumer impact ultimately to a decision maker. Um, and so it's not easy, right? There are, there are challenges from day one to day, I don't know what we're in. I'm going to say we're in uh, day 350. That's probably wrong. But uh, uh, of time where, you know, you're seeing the numbers, you're adjusting um, the technology. But it's exciting. Like what a great time to be in space. I couldn't agree more. Um, and I think like every day, I mean, it's clear to me from, from talking to entrepreneurs, like a, a lot of the way that they think about building companies is very empirical, right? Like very pragmatic. What have I learned? What am I learning every day? What, what do I see that works? Um, and especially, I think you need to be very pragmatic in a space like blockchain where, you know, uh, you might have some prior knowledge of web two coming in, but the space in and of itself, uh, and the development that's happening went through today, like like you were just alluding to, is moving so fast. So you do just need to have this practical approach to you know what what works, right? And and learning every day. Um, so it is, you know, I mean, do you ever feel like you find it just hard to keep up with the absolute fire hose of information and development that's happening every day in this space? It's it's impossible. No, n nobody can, yeah. right? And it's uh, you know. Even investors who uh, 
who are incredible writers and philosophers about the space, like I find in the last two or three weeks have just like fundamentally changed their direction. Not, not because of the market, but more because of like what they're now seeing across the board. But to me, a lot of, you know, everyone's looking for, I, I call it the super app, right? That the application that's going to, going to take us to, to mainstream right now. Um, and really bring this to light. And while all of us on the inside could, you know, say a hundred different use cases from what could happen in the travel industry. And imagine your, your miles being able to be bought and sold peer to peer and what could happen in the world of ticketing and music. You know, a, a lot of the foundational elements of, you know, quote, web three are still not consumer friendly. They're not easy to explain. They're not easy to transact against right now. And, so, I, you know, I think we keep thinking with partners, if, if it lives on chain and you're using blockchain to enable the problems you're trying to solve, then those problems you're trying to solve to your end consumer are going to be mainstream. You know, they're not going to talk about so many of these things that we talk about today with, with wallets or... Um, uh, transaction hashes, you know, all this nomenclature that an average person will never understand. Like when they swipe a credit card, do they know all the layers and all the middlemen behind that swipe that happens in seconds? No, they just want to say, is it approved? Great. Can I take my item? Great. You know? And so yeah. that to me is where the super ops are going to come in today. Um, it, it's not going to be, uh, as we all know, Connecting wallets, swapping, moving over, moving my money into li liquidity platforms. Like, it, it's great. There's a million use cases, but, you know, at times, most of the time, we're talking to ourselves. And yeah, Peter, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, sorry, Kimmy, go, go ahead. Oh, you're fine. I was going to say, um, just to sort of paint the picture for our listeners, uh, what sort of sector do you see this ki like this killer app that takes us into mainstream adoption? Like, where would you see that coming into? So, like, whether it's ticketing or um, like cultural events, um, just spitballing here. What would you say? I, I literally have a document that has every single industry vertical and five ideas that, if I wasn't uh, building what we're building today, you could you could look at disrupting. And it seems like every month I find an incredible executive who came from that vertical who who understands the business and the technology side trying to do to do just that i i don't i don't know like i you know i i think there's a lot of Peter, it sounds like you and i gotta sit down and discuss some of these ideas yeah take take, take them all <laughs> I lean into incubation take, more heavily i might go over there and take a gander at some of those notes yeah take uh you know take all the ideas they're all commodities i know how hard it is to build any one of them but um you know i look at you know, experiences are coming back, concerts are coming back, events are coming back, you know, or have come back. Um, are there just basic things I've now seen that could be enabled uh, during events, post events? Um, again, those aren't super apps, but it starts explaining behavior to people. And on behalf of the, you know, the quote IP owner, you're starting to build what I always call uh, loyalty 3.0, like new CRM systems, new databases, new ways of reaching people. Um, ultimately, right there, I think the word creator, from my stance, is anyone that creates. But for digital creators, you know, it, it's a push and pull. Like it, it for sure is a push and pull. 
with um, the social platforms and their direct-to-consumer businesses right now and whether or not their audiences, any part of their audiences, understand any of the stuff that's going on right now. So again, I think there are the idea of super apps, absolutely. I'm not quite sure if they're ready to fully adopt to a lot of it right now. I see many brands and vertical marketplaces that could have tremendous opportunity right now that are starting to emerge. So it's, it's always hard to say, which is why we built the platform and we built the infrastructure for it, right? Because any one of these verticals now could use Cairo to launch these types of marketplaces and resale marketplaces, right? Like a lot of folks today are taking what I think is a bit of the easy way out and allowing their assets to be resold um, within these third-party aggregators that take a couple points right off the bat. That is a uh, Amber Alert. If you got that, that's a great ad break for you guys. <laughs> but, but we believe this whole world is about, you know, verticalizing your business and controlling your relationship with fans and controlling the experience and the business model behind it, right? Um, and so, why wouldn't you want the new owners to be able to resell those assets within your garden? And you take the percentages back beyond the royalty splits, right? So there's a lot of, I, you know, there's just killer apps to me every single day, which is, again, exciting. Like, we, I don't think there's a killer app right now in the marketplace, but there's a lot of great ideas, right? Yeah, Peter, I think it's the way, what you're alluding to is kind of a, a an irony that I find in the space um, where we're always constantly looking for these killer apps and killer use cases. Um, but at the same time, there still is this sort of reluctance to move past the infrastructural layer and actually do commit to creating great user experience. I mean, we can sit in here and talk about it all day, but I still see very few people and companies actually researching what our user needs, what's broken for users today, starting with users instead of starting with technology. Um, and, and I think that mindset of... Um, I think you, you understand it really well. You, you put it so eloquently of just understanding that, you know, users are rationally ignorant, right? Like there are things that people are good at, whether it's creating content or, uh, you know, being an artist, right? Like being a musician, um, anything that they're just good at. And that's what they're focused on, right? They don't care about transaction hashes. They don't care about, you know, what, what uh, multi-sig wallet they're going to use. I mean, they just want... The, the best tools for the job that makes their life as easy as possible so that they can focus on what they're good at. And I think like, I still do see very few projects and very few applications uh, really focused on, on addressing customer needs and, and doing uh, super involved user experience research. You know, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, you know, I even look at, Everyone harps on wallets every single day, but I think there's a move to back to the world of custodial wallets. Like I see a world of branded wallets. I see a world where there's comfort. Um, you know, Starbucks obviously announced they're doing something. Well, what that something is unknown, but you know, I interact with Starbucks. I interact with the Starbucks app, right? I don't necessarily need to control my own keys to my kingdom um, with, with Starbucks or other consumer brands that I have a relationship with. Right. So I think every part 
of the business or these businesses are all being challenged and everyone needs to think about them. No different than how everyone said, gosh, I could never sell direct to consumer. Like my, my wholesale business will just go away. Like what is going to happen, right? I'm going to lose hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars from my partners. And lo and behold, everyone over time got accustomed to, I need a direct-to-consumer strategy. I need a direct-to-consumer business. I need to change my resources and my allocation internally and my teams internally to think about this stuff, right? I think that's what we're starting to see right now. Or um, in the early days, when I was in the early days of social, nobody would give us the time of day. The social and digital group? Oh, it's just two people over there to the left. What happened? The business fundamentally started growing year over year, and the core businesses started declining year over year. And next thing you know, we got to we got to allocate more resources over here to the left. So it, we've all seen this play out over time. The question becomes, how big does it get? You know, how much can we think about consumers in the forefront, and will it continue to scale and grow? Um, at a speed in which companies have to have to adopt to it. Because I could say there are other technologies we all thought over the last 10 years that were going to have a similar movement um, that didn't. I just believe there's just so many fundamental use cases now around blockchain that it's inevitable. Right. So, Peter, how do we drive mass adoption through UX? Like, what do we need to do today as a Web3 community and ecosystem to design good user experiences? But what are some of the things that you believe uh, people need to be doing today? Call Samir and I and come talk to Cairo? No. Uh, I, I think the industry has to come together. Yeah. I, I think the industry has to come together more. Like I remember putting together a lot of consortiums over the years of companies that you might say are competitive to each other and companies that were complementary to each other right now. To, to enhance the market. Um, I, I don't want to call it standardization because, you know, uh, blockchain does a lot of that right now, but we all need to educate, ma you know, massive, mass consumers, which is really mass IP owners, more and more about all the possibilities and how to think about the space, right? The UI side, but I, we, again, we tackle that. We tackle it a little bit, but it's more for right. the world of designers, you know, developers and everything to think through um, a little bit more. We're just trying to give them, um, you know, all the infrastructure to, to deploy this stuff. And again, yeah. everyone's got a different, you know, experience with it, right? Like even look at the evolution of e-commerce checkout from where it started to where it is today, right? It's fundamentally been different and different. I think we take for granted a lot of, uh, the the user flows and the process around the stuff, right? And when one, when one thing, I'm sure you guys are like me, when one thing on my on my checkout to buy whatever I'm buying online doesn't work out, right? I get so frustrated. But that took so many yeah. years. Like I spent, you know, an hour, 10 years ago trying to buy something. Now we're, we live in a world of instantaneous uh, transactions. So... We're, we're all going to get there. We just need, I think, to simplify and simplify, like and simplify yep. um, a lot of this stuff. Because even if you look at wallets, non-custodial wallets today, and, you know, by chain, like I can't believe it. We're still on uh, chain-specific wallets. You know, moving money to me is, is not a simple experience across the board. 
Um, the rules are changing. The dynamics are changing. The the entities of companies are changing right now. Look at you know look at Coinbase, the exchange, and their UI today, and look at Coinbase Wallet and the UI today. You know they speak to each other, but they don't speak to each other because they have to be treated as separate entities. Um, look at look at the the account information on the exchanges now. Like we're you know we're all going through these growing pains right now, and the people that have been in it. You know, we can all, you know, brush it off a little bit because we're used to it. We understand how you know, this world is working and operating. But, you know, to everybody else, like, no chance. Absolutely. Well, I guess, Peter, have you noticed, um, like, an influx of those product-oriented people and design and user experience and user interface type of people joining Web3 companies? Um, you know, what, what are you seeing Every day, every second. I think our, I think our just for our company. I think our inbound, um, our inbound has been up maybe twenty five to fifty percent week over week right now. With just like so many quality people, it's hard for me to even get through all of them on a daily basis right now. Um, I see, I see the shifts that have occurred with just incredible people, either right out of school choosing to go down this path. Right and saying I'm going to start this company. It's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be driven off of social. It's not going to be driven off of e-com. It's not going to be driven off of fiat checkout. Like it's, it is a fundamentally different build in which they're doing, which is so exciting. You're seeing, you're seeing big executives from uh, Web two companies move into Web three and take their experience from how to scale an organization, the operations, how to communicate, and how to market. More than anything, right? Um, these products. So the more this happens, the better it is. Again, we're we're also supported by um, many of the blockchains out there, so we get to see a lot happening and talk with with the chains themselves. You know, every single week uh, and seeing the influx of just high quality collaborative partners they're bringing on themselves to now externally communicate. You know, about their blockchain or about Cairo and the many, many partners that they have right now. So, you know, I just see, you know, it's continued growth and it might not translate to that super app today, but it, it's, it's going to get there. Yeah. I'm curious to know, Peter, what some of the first hires that you made at Cairo were. Um, what were some of the first positions that you guys filled? It's, it's all engineering. So, Outside of a few, outside of a few folks, it's it's all engineering because of how complicated it all is, um, and we only rely on you know a, a few of us on a non-engineering side to be able to translate and articulate everything we're building to, you know the the uh, the marketer who's fairly new to the space who's always dangerous with key buzzwords and uh, general understandings, right? Um, or content creators themselves uh, to understand every component, right? Because most companies have always relied on their version of agencies and the service layer to build stuff, right? And you know, setting a scope and a roadmap and kind of overseeing outside vendors, uh, which is which is you know traditionally what happens. But now the question to me I always ask is, where does all this stuff fall into place? Is it a is it the technology group? Is it the marketing group? Is digital group? Is digital and marketing separate still? Is it combined? Because all of this 
information has trickle-down effects in the organization, or am I using all these components of blockchain as purely a marketing vehicle, or am I using it as a transactional source, present and future? Am I using it related to customer data? How am I using this technology and what am I enabling? It tends to answer the question of which group does it fall into. But if I was on that side again, I'd say, I want it, like raise my hand, right? I want to be the in charge of blockchain for my company right now. So I, I, can, uh, I can imagine the internal debates and battles that everyone is having now, just like, wow, I didn't realize how big YouTube was going to get. Absolutely. Um, what sort of, I'm curious to know, since it was all engineers, would you change anything about those initial hires? Um, or what mistakes do you think you made or, or any advice to um, No, I want, are, I, I want selfishly more of them. Like we, it's, it's incredible, but I, I think we're, I think Samir and I and our VP of engineering, like I think we're all cognizant of, you know, there's challenges with scale too, right? Like at this stage that you know, the industry is collectively in, you know, you lose that close contact maybe with somebody. You lose the dialogue. You lose the shorthand. Um, they were, you know, they haven't been there from the onset. I think, again, scale and growing organizations, I think, is a, a whole separate um, challenge and topic right now. But, you know, I think I think most people that aren't uh, that aren't a unicorn or a decacorn right now are saying to themselves, you know, how do I find that perfect or somewhat perfect right fit, right? to align with the, with the current teams and what do they offer? Is it, is it an exponential hire right now that we as our core team can't do ourselves uh, at this juncture? And you know, these are fundamentally the make or break of companies. So Peter, I think, um, you know, today is kind of a weird, a weird place to be starting a company. It's kind of a hard, uh, challenge to hire in general, especially early, because maybe not in Web three, just because of the amount of talent and interest in it. But um, you know, it's the labor market is so tight, and specifically engineers. I mean, quality engineers are one of the hardest positions to fill right now. What do you think about uh, the hiring process that you guys had for engineers, and how you hired good engineers early on? What was the strategy there? How did you vet them? I think it continues. Any, any advice there? Yeah, I think it continues to be. I mean, to me, the beauty of a lot of this is you can show the work, right? I think in, in non-technical roles, it's um, it's always harder to actually know what people have done in their prior life, right? And people can say that they were responsible for certain things, or people, um, you know, could, could cite certain metrics that sure might have been there doing or not there doing. Um, I, I think with what we look for, it's it's tangible work right now, right? It's given, uh, I love giving projects, not to not to create more busy work for somebody who already has a job, but to see how they think, right or wrong, uh, about their idea, right? Yeah. How do they think? How do they communicate? How do they, how do they get to that problem? How did they solve that problem? What paths did they take? Uh, what other options did they weigh right now? And so for us, we, you know, we do a lot of that dialogue with folks and I want people on the other side to understand the expectations and to understand the way in which we need to think through things on behalf of you know our present day and our future customers right now and you know and thinking through short versus long-term impact because the decision that whether it's a product manager or a technical engineer a front-end or a back-end person 
could have like we want to empower folks to make decisions ultimately to communicate those decisions um, and from day one to be able to quickly understand everything we're building under the hood and and to go and that's a you know that's a particular skill set and some people thrive in it some people you know like managing teams and they don't want to not do the work, but they're not going to get their hands as dirty as once before. And I think those those lines and clear expectations, like everybody knows in a startup, um, are critical. It's so interesting, like it, it, you know, really driving this point of like I think a lot of reason why companies, um, especially early on, struggle with hiring and the right engineers is like they're looking at this the wrong way. Perhaps I mean I think. The engineers that you want to hire for a large organization that maybe is more bureaucratic or moves a little slower, those are going to be very specific like job descriptions. Typically, people aren't going to, you know, need to learn as many new technologies um, at these big companies and in as short of periods of time, and um, they're just going to be more clearly delineated. But at an early company, you really have a lot of responsibility, and like I think, uh, you know, this idea of having a personal portfolio illustrates, hey, I am passionate about using technology to build things and like I'm a fast learner and I can learn. And I think that's something that needs to be prioritized more in early stage engineering hiring because the reality of technology is that it grows extremely fast and you're always learning. And if I could succinctly say, you know, what makes a great engineer at, a, at an early stage company, it's really just this mindset of constantly you know, being willing and able and wanting to learn new technology and how to use it to create great, great products. And um, so I, I, I think that the, the way we hire engineers is, is slightly short-sighted. Um, and I would just, yeah, I kind of agree with, with your perspective. By the way, I think, I think it's short-sighted across the board. Again, I've, you know, I've gone from big corporate post-acquisition, smaller, my own thing, smaller. Like I've, I've seen all ends of the spectrum now and have experienced it. And it, to me, a lot of it is also how do you bring on the non-technical people that understand the technical side, right? To be able to articulate that, right? When you don't, again, have a uh, hundred um, product marketing folks, right? That you can kind of pick and choose from right now. And so, you know, it's, it's a real, it's a challenge. I mean, a lot of people are trying to make this shift into today's web three, right? And they're trying to, in their, and they've convinced themselves that, this is the, you know, this is the future and they want to, you know, make that leap and they want to, you know, make that risk for themselves and their career because um, they truly believe in all of it. And it goes to what I think the world has been saying, which is how do you constantly educate yourself on a new part of business, right? Um, who do you talk to? What do you read? How do you get your hands dirty? How do you, how do you fail? Right. Like, you know, I, I know this is a lot in the, in the venture and startup side of like, you know, failure is a good thing. I think it's, it is a good thing in reason. Right. Um, but for a lot of the non-technical people, it's always been how successful did I do? What did I do right? You know, look how great I, you know, this project was that I yeah. did right now. Failure in big companies yeah. like means you probably did something risky and they don't like risk and like you're not getting promoted, mm -hmm. right? Just don't do anything different and you'll and you'll get promoted. Yeah. You know, so finding people who truly understand how to translate technology um you know to other customers, like it's it's really hard. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I always like to push myself to, to say, you know, if I don't, this is the Feynman quote that everybody loves, right? Where it's like, if you can't explain something to a toddler, then you just don't understand it well enough. Um, and I think it's a, it's really a great quote. Like you could be working on the most com complicated and valuable thing imaginable, but if at the end of the day, I mean, you, you just can't succinctly communicate that technical idea to other people, uh, it, it has very low value. Oh, I mean, you hear every founder, like every six, today's successful founder 15 or 20 years ago with what they were building, right? And they would all say until they, you know, spent years and years or, you know, uh, maybe a decade developing all their different technology, you would say to them, so what does it do? And they would say, oh, it does, it does all these different things. Herein lies the downfall. Yeah. Right, because it would be like a regurgitation of a white paper. Yeah, right, because it was so complicated. Yeah. It, it is, it is a, it is a craft. Um, we're still solving it every single day based on, you know, fundamental changes uh, in this ecosystem right now. But we're we're all new. We all need to keep our heads down. We all need ultimately to support folks who are trying new not just technologies, but new behaviors, new ways of consumer adoption, um, new exploration within their existing systems right now. And be, you know, hopefully everyone can be uh, patient to a degree as, as it works itself out. Because if I look at just, you know, five years ago and I look at three years ago and I look at the last six months, like it's starting to figure itself out slowly. Definitely. I think embracing this innovation, especially right now, is, is definitely super valuable in the way to go. Um, we'll have a couple more questions, Peter, and then we'll wrap up. But um, I want to ask sort of more about the uh, the culture that you have been able to develop at Cairo. And, and I want to know just sort of what's different about it. What What's your favorite part about it since you've been able to kind of customize that? I think our, you know, it's a, it's a pseudo decentralized workforce, like, like many people, but, you know, we've tried to actually be together a lot more than I think other companies right now. Um, that's a, probably a luxury uh, because several of us are in the same state at least. And if you narrow it down, a few of us are in different same cities. So I think that's, I think it's really important at this early stage, you know, I'm all for remote work and, and seeing things, but it's such a critical juncture to us. You know, we've all come from, you know, being together. And I think big ideas are, are best together and talking through things and call me old school with whiteboards and markers and stickies and um, really trying to map out, you know, everything we have to tackle short and long-term right now uh, in general communication, right? That's always the make or break within companies at this point. Again, it, the translation between technical and non-technical sides is the most critical communication there possibly is, and there's no right way to do it. Um, and it's extremely complicated, and there's expectations, different expectations on all sides. So, um, you know, we try and be together, we try and talk uh, all for Slack and every messaging tool, but at the same time, it's always been hard for me to get, you know, your tone and point across uh, over a couple Slack notes, right, versus... Uh, using it to pass information um, across the board. Okay. And then, uh, you know, you guys, next time you're in L.A., we're doing it in New York and Austin and hopefully Chicago at some point in the next year. But, you know, we're trying to bring the communities together. It's like one of the first things I said, which is maybe a great way for me to wrap this up, which is 
you know, whether it's a direct competitor, maybe not a competitor, partners, partners that decided not to use our, our platform and to build it a different way, so be it. Like having everybody come together to actually try and tackle this thing as, as a unified industry at such an early point and to truly share information to me is, is the best way forward. Um, yeah, sure, people might have similar ideas. It's all in the execution, but in order to move it forward, um, I've always found these communities of builders and operators and technologists and marketers all really need a chance to come together, not just with people on your own team, uh, but with the outside world. Totally, and I've got to let you know, Peter, that we literally built our classroom whiteboard in our office yesterday, so yes. we're the same way. Um, and just to sort of wrap it up. I'm in here. <laughs> there you go. There the it is. Stargate user. I don't know if you see that back there. It says empathize with Stargate user, Peter. There we go. There we go. Good old classroom whiteboard. Um, so do you have any parting words uh, for our audience, um, anybody who may be an aspiring founder or looking to, uh, maybe a developer looking to get into Web3, um, what sort of advice do you have for them? Just start, again, that's the non-technical side of me, but everyone always has ideas. Heck, years ago I had ideas, but if you don't start doing it, you're not going to know why it's going to work or why it hasn't worked right now, right? And that's easy for you know, engineers who know how to code to just, you know, start putting together their prototypes. But, you know, having been on the other side before, you got to just put pen to paper or pen to code um, and just start, you know, creating the stuff right now. Because if you don't, you'll never know the challenges that are happening behind the scenes. No time like the present, right? No time like the present. I'll take your quote instead. <laughs> Awesome, Peter. Do you want to let our audience know just sort of where they can find you if you want to shout out any socials or anything? Yeah, it's, uh, I think everything I have is at Peter Lieb from many, many years ago. Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, Telegram. Maybe Telegram might be a little different these days, but we're there. Cairo.co, there's, there's an access for sign up button as well. And uh, we're here to help people build and deploy these things quickly and easily. Fantastic. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much, Peter. Bye.